1: Hey, so how many out there ever thought about writing a book? Well, I know i have i've written four of them or I actually had somebody help me because listen i don't have, I have the attention span of a gnat, so I have to have somebody like our next guest uh help me because in the u s alone there're between six hundred thousand and a million books published every year however self published authors will sell around two hundred and fifty books that's all they'll sell and they're, oh my gosh, that's not enough. So how do you stand out of the very crowded field? That's what we're gonna learn about in this call. It was a great, great call, great, great interview with Pat Iyer, because that's my guest. She's president of the Pat Iyer Group and a ghostwriter of many books. She's involved with us on our C-Suite network. She's writing a lot of business books, and it's amazing because she came from the nursing field. So we'll talk about that in the interview too. We're discussing everything about the world of publishing and how to successfully promote your book. So welcome, Pat to the show. Hey, so the first question I have to ask you right off the bat is you're a nurse, and you were a nurse for a long time, but how did you get started in the publishing industry?
2: I got involved in writing my first book in 1986 after having a couple of articles written, and I started on my first article because I was in a graduate school course, and I had a chance to meet a woman who had been beaten so badly by her husband that she was paralyzed. Mm. And I kept thinking, like, why did she stay with him? So Mm -hmm. I wrote my class paper on the topic of battered women, and then that article became the first one that I had published, and that led me to just go from that horrible zero to one state, you know, that first publication, to get through that first one. And then I you to write.
1: Yeah. Was that more of a a therapy for you or was it more to to make money with it?
2: I always enjoyed writing, even from the time I was a little kid. And I found that I enjoyed it and I developed skill at it. And it just kept expanding. It was rewarding.
1: Has it become a calling?
2: I think so. I think people who really enjoy writing don't see it as drudgery. It is creative. You get immersed in it. You get excited by the way the ideas form in your brain. And as you do more of it and you get rewarded for it, it becomes self-perpetuating after a while.
1: Yeah, which is really cool. So what do you say to people? Because you're, you're now, I, I don't know, I, I, Pat, I'd call you kind of a writing muse, a book muse. You know, you, you're always helping people get, get their books done. How many total books have you done now?
2: Well, I've written 48 books, and I've helped probably at least another couple dozen people with their books.
1: So, but when you say write 48, 48 for yourself or 48 for others?
2: For myself, counting oh. all editions of all books that I've written. Yep.
1: Oh, my gosh. I See, I didn't know that. I, that, I I know a lot about you. I've known you for a number of years now, and I didn't know you had 48 books. I should almost make a test right now, make you just give me the titles of every single one without looking up on a sheet of paper. Can you do that? Not, not that I'd make you do that, but can I, I, you do I mean, I just I think can. that's something. Yeah. You I probably can. could. Yeah. I can. So give me the range. For some people that listen right now, they're going like, I can, writing one book is hard enough, 48 and now you're out helping other people write books, right? Sure. And there's, you know, because there's people I've sent to you, uh, and I'm just going to get into the process and all that kind of stuff. Wow. Four, so are, are they all in one area, or, where, or how many areas of, or genres, would you say?
2: They started off as nursing books. And then when I began working with attorneys as an expert witness, I switched to writing books that would help other legal nurse consultants and expert witnesses and attorneys. Mm-hmm. And then I switched to books purely for legal nurse consultants, mostly about business topics, because that seemed to be where nurses struggle the most, making that transition into the legal world. Mm -hmm. And my most recent book was 52 Writing Tips, Fast and Easy Ways to Polish Your Writing. And that's not written for legal nurse consultants. That's for a general audience. So I've come back into the general audience world.
1: Yeah, so you're moving more of that and more of the self-help stuff now?
2: Yes. You know, there are a lot of people who have books trapped inside them and they don't know how to get them out. You know, the statistic I've seen is 81% of people feel that they've got a book in them, but, you know, less than 1% will actually write it. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of help needed to take that ambition and turn it into reality.
1: Well, when you think about that, that's still a lot of books. I mean, I look at the n- number of business books that are published. You know, we do with C Suite now, C Suite Publishing, C Suite Book Club, and of course on Bestseller TV. You know, there's over well, roughly I say there's three hundred thousand new business books in North America alone. My son, who you know is uh, as you know Tyler, my son, who is active on my brand and then uh, helps a, a lot of people with. Their own personal celebrity brands and building them up. He says there's three million new business built books every single year. So if you said one percent of the eighty percent, that's still that's
2: like billions of books. That's a lot. That's huge. Yeah. yeah,
1: it's a big business. It's still a big business even with the onset of digital. But I, I want to talk about whether we think books are here to stay forever or, or they're going to die. Because a lot of people think that print's dead, and which I don't. Dis- I disagree with you. Still have a lot of good use for print. Well, what do you say to people who want to write a book uh, but don't know where or how to start? What would you say to them first? What's the process like?
2: I have the most skill in terms of helping people with nonfiction books, so I can't address fiction or poetry. But from a business perspective, and I know that's your focus also, Jeffrey, it's to start with the end in mind. What does that book do for your business? How is it going to establish or strengthen your platform, give you more credibility, more visibility? Is it a book whose subject that you're passionate about? Because you end up living with the topic for a very long time. It turns into speeches. It turns into blogs or podcasts. So it's got to be something that really interests you and is going to be interesting to the audience that you're trying to reach.
1: That's really good advice because most people never start with the end in mind. They don't understand what they want to use it for. I, you know, I was talking to an author this morning complaining that he's not getting enough media coverage, but he didn't launch his marketing campaign until a week and a half before he, his book was out. And I said, dude, you got to start that like a year in advance. It's six months at least. And and, he said, what do you mean? And it, it just dawned on me he didn't start with the end in mind. Like, what am I going to use this book for? How am I going to position it? You know, each of my books have become my speech topics. You know, think big the mirror test think big, act bigger, you know, the, the running the gauntlet, I the hero factor, I'm building an entire club and whole community around the hero factor. So a lot of people just don't get that. So man, I I don't know where to go with this, because there's so many different places I could go with the way you could, we're talking about it. But what are some of the ways, you know, practical ways that people can kind of get started, though, in terms of the process of writing? Or how does it work? So if I came to you, uh, and said, hey, I need help with a book, what what would we do?
2: Well, we would look at your business to see where you would be positioning that book and uh-huh. in terms of the outcome that you wanted to get from it.
1: So if we're going to use it as a lead generation tool, or are we going to use it to make money? Or, exactly. yeah, are we going to use it to establish me as the thought leader in the category, right? Those are the things you're talking about.
2: Uh-huh. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. What do you want to get out of that? investment of time because it is a big investment of time to write a book and you become very deeply knowledgeable about the subject. So you're spending a lot more time researching, assembling your ideas in addition to all the writing. What is it going to do? Do you want to launch a coaching business? Do you want to become a consultant? Do you want to get higher fees as a speaker? Mm -hmm. Do you want to use that to Enter a new market. You know, there's lots of ways that you can position that book and get the most value from all the effort that goes into it.
1: But there's something you're not saying I think we need to say, and that you you haven't said you want to make a lot of money off the book.
2: There are people who make a lot of money off books. They tend to be the textbook writers, where Mm -hmm. the book becomes a required reading for hundreds of thousands of students. Those authors make a lot of money. And then the celebrity authors like yeah. Michelle Obama's book on becoming. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how many millions of copies she has sold, but those are really the exception. People typically don't write a book because they're going to make a lot of money from royalties or sales. They see yeah. it as an opportunity to open other doors.
1: You know, I sell a lot of books comparatively speaking to what others do. I mean, I pre-sell books more than, you know, 10 times more than, or sometimes 20 or 40 times more than most people sell in a lifetime. And I'm still not making money from books, but it's the leveraging of the book. It's mm-hmm. the positioning of the book. It's the catalyst as the book. You know, I say that now if you're a, you're a speaker, you need to reinvent yourself about every 18 to 24 months. So you have another topic to go back to people because you want to go back to some of the same groups. And they're not going to have you come back and speak if you already spoke once. They want a new speech. So to come up with a new speech, you need new material, new material. Here's the new book. And that becomes the catalyst, you know, for you, you know, a content catalyst. Super. So I think that's important. So then we figure that out. Okay. so we want to do this. I want to use it to position myself. I want to use it to get me into uh, more doors or meet new clients or use it for my coaching business. Now, how do you work with someone? So let's say I've hired you and you're going to be my ghostwriter and you're going to Mm -hmm. help me put it all together. And we're going to talk about what that means. And we can even talk about the contract if you'd like. I think it's kind of a cool thing uh, how different people do it. I've used a ghostwriter. On the last four of my books, and even though it's in my voice, you know, it's uh, I use a guy named Jim Eber. I love Jim. The only other book he'd written before he wrote mine was a was a cookbook. And I found him through my my agent, my book agent, and she found him. The first one didn't work out well. The first draft just didn't go. And then then I found this guy and man, he even loves bacon. So there's, you know, I mean, this guy, he's just like me. In fact, sometimes his wife says, you got to appreciate this, Pat. Sometimes his wife says, quit acting like Hazlett," because he gets into that mode sometimes when he's talking to her. And she yeah. says, stop channeling Hazlett." So, you know, he's really taking on my voice. So when I sit down with him, he and I get into a room for like a day or two and we kind of come up with our outline. Here's what I want to say, Jim. And then he goes, well, what do you think you're going to do? And so then I start giving this or this or this, and we throw it all on the board. And pretty soon we're coming up with the 10 chapters, the 20 chapters, depending on what it is. And we have a fairly good outline that becomes the outline for a book. How do you do that?
2: It's a similar process. Talking to the author about the content, we divide it up into chapters. And you can start a book on any chapter. That's one of the behind the secrets behind-the-scenes secrets. You don't have to start with the introduction. In fact, you should really write your introduction last after you've written the book.
1: Yeah, I, I by the way, I do that as well. I don't write the introduction up front. We do it in the end because it's yeah. more of a summary of what we've learned because it's a process. And you're exactly right because we start riffing because then then I'll tell you how we also do it every day. We do it every day. We cannot knock a book out in a, in a month now. But because we've just worked so well together, and we come prepared when we go into the session. So we kind of know what we both were, are looking for out of that, you know, and because he's guiding me, he's my guide. But I think it's important what you just said, though, Pat, is sometimes I find something I say when we're working on chapter nine, it's a better fit in chapter one. Mm-hmm. That we might get to chapter seven first because we start writing that, but then as we start putting it together, we find out that we got to move it around a little bit. Yes. Yeah. So then we we if you and I were sitting down, we did that. We did the outline. Now we've got this outline. And then how do you kind of how do you work with someone to kind of get that get the content out of it to get them to to let loose with the the meat?
2: Uh, that's a great question because I have found that if you don't have a good idea about what's going to be in the chapter, you can spend a lot of time wandering around. Mm-hmm. It helps to start with a, a set of questions that I develop with the author. The content comes from the author's expertise. So the author knows the key points to make, but it's a synergistic relationship. As we're talking, we can end up exploring other areas and saying, yes, we need to fill this in in the chapter. And those questions and answers are typically recorded either um, on Zoom or go to webinar or mm. any free conference call system. I use Zoom. Mm-hmm. And then I have a transcriptionist who takes that recording, puts it into a transcript, and that's the rough basis for then working with the transcript, taking out some of that colloquial dialogue mm. and weaving it together into a chapter. That's really the time consuming part.
1: Yeah, of it, it is. With
2: the transcript.
1: Cause we do this every day. What we do is he, he, we, I like the evening. So we, you know, we do our pre-session, we get that going and we might do a weekend or two, but usually it's every night. So I'd get home and we do it late at night. Like we start at nine o'clock because usually I have two or three things going on beforehand. And Mm -hmm. so, and we get on the phone like eight, nine o'clock at night and we go for two, three hours every single night and then he works through the night. So I just start riffing. We start talking about chapter 1, the stories. What do you think here? What do you think here? And I just start going in and we do, and I free flow. I just like go with it. And and then at the end of the night, he's tired, I'm tired, we're both grumpy, you can imagine. And then he goes off and writes all night long and then next morning he sends me the transcript, the pieces that he's written that, that we've done, the draft of what we just did for the last two, three hours earlier that night. And during the day, I play with it. I send it to my wife as well, usually. And sometimes one or two other people just say, hey, take a look at this, see what you think. What ideas do you have here? Or did, we, did we overstep our bounds here? And then I get back on the phone with them that night at nine o'clock and we cover the first couple of minutes is covering the stuff from the night before. And then we start again and we do this and we do this for days on end until we get that suckered in. That's how we do it. You're shaking. See, I see her on video, folks. So we're, we're sitting oh here on video. God. She's shaking her head like we're nuts. How do you do it? How do you do it, Pat?
2: Uh, it's usually calls every other week. If yeah. I had to stay up all night long, you wouldn't want to talk to me the next morning.
1: <laughs> see, that makes us <laughs> move faster. That's how we get it done. You know, because we're, we're really trying to get it out in a tight deadline, getting it done. You know, and most people have a lot more time, as you just said. And most people need that. You know, don't you think? I think most people need that. But I'm now, I'm kind of like a machine on this stuff. So we start it with a purpose and we research it. I come, again, I, I got to tell you, I come in very well prepared. I'll get y'all coming a lot more prepared than any of your other authors come in.
2: You might indeed. and And you are pointing out there's different patterns that work for different people. I have not heard of anyone banging out a book as fast as you do and using the process you do. Most people need a little bit of seasoning or maybe some research time or to do other things in their life to come back Mm -hmm. together again. But it it has to be something that will work for both the author and the ghostwriter, whatever pattern evolves.
1: Well, I think that's exactly right, how it works for both of you. So you make it happen. C-Suite Radio. How do you work through a writer's block?
2: I think by taking a look at what's stopping the person. I personally don't have experience with writer's block because I'm a prolific writer. And I've never been...
1: When you you get 48 books, you don't have a problem. (laughs) You have a a problem, you don't have enough pen and paper. That's your problem. Yes,
2: exactly. So (laughs) there's an expression that I really love that says, proceed as the way opens. And if you're hitting a wall, maybe you need to dig a side channel or work on some other topic or come back to the thing that's stopping you. If you're working on a book, for example, and you always have that option until you've completed the book. If you get a block at the end, it would be unusual. But take a step back and say, I'm I'm hitting some resistance here. Maybe I'm trying to fit the square peg into the round hole.
1: Yeah. You know, a lot of folks um go on kind of like a retreat, go out in the, you know, the country or they get in a cabin. I see a lot of people that kind of do that or go to the beach. Are you do you need that to do your writing?
2: I know. I usually write in my office with my music going in the background, which is behind me. If see so you can see on my video, I've got an old-fashioned iPod and I play music and I like soft music that keeps me content and relaxed. I have heard of people going to a hotel for a weekend and just devoting hmm. solid days of writing. There are people who work well with that pattern. There are other people who could take a concentrated block and then that would be it.
1: I couldn't do that. My mind doesn't work that way. I, you know, I do. There are times when I can sit and write, uh, like on a plane. I like long plane rides because that's when I write letters to my family and things like that that I, you know, want to tell them I haven't told them in a long time. I do things like that when I'm in the book writing mode. But again, I'm, I go at it a different way. I think, for, I think that's one of the unique takeaways everybody can listen to or listen right now is do it the way you want that works for you. Find that way and make it and just pl- get through it. And I think that's the way. So if you got to, you know, drink a little wine and have a little candlelight while you're writing or you got to go to retreat or you got to have a, a ghostwriter, a, a coach, or, you know, a muse to do that, then do that. I wouldn't do it any other way than have somebody help me do it because there's so much I don't know uh, that I don't know and that's what I learned by working with Jim or I, I learned with working with someone like Pat is they know all the shortcuts they know all the things that are going to do and they know how to you know as they're leading you through this process you might think well they're a little crazy or something but there's a reason for it you know <laughs> It's was just kind of cool so how does it normally work? Let's talk about how it normally works if I were to hire someone like yourself, because you do, I think you do editing too, right?
2: I do do editing.
1: Yeah. Yes. So you'll do ghostwriting and you'll do editing. How does it normally work for to, to hire a ghostwriter?
2: Do you mean in terms of payment or do you mean? Yeah, yeah
1: sure. What's, it, what's oh. it look like? Yeah, give me some numbers. Give me some numbers of what it kind of looks like. You, you can either quote yours or kind of just give general numbers. But, I mean, what's it like to do? I, I, and I can give what I pay. I'll tell somebody what I pay. I don't mind telling everybody what I pay. But go ahead.
2: Mm-hmm. Different ghostwriters have different fees, of course. And yep. that depending upon their experience and the clients they're working with, the fees can range all over. A good ghostwriter is probably going to be starting at the the 20000 range yep. and upward. Yep, And that's generally because it's a very intense activity on the part of the ghostwriter. It's a skill set of being able to work with a person, write the material in that person's voice, sometimes research additional areas, spend a lot of time on manuscripts and turning them into smoothly written material. Mm -hmm. A ghostwriter may want a percentage up front or may ask for a monthly payment. And one of the advantages of the monthly payment is that it forces the author to not let this string out forever. Because, yeah. And it's it's no surprise to you, Jeffrey, there are perfectionists who write.
1: never get it and done.
2: And they <laughs> never release them.
1: Yeah. I've, no, I, I, it's not a surprise at all because, you know, we have bestseller TV. We've had people who've come to, to the TV show and filmed their episode. And a year later, their book's still not out. So, yeah, we've seen that before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You mentioned, I, I actually pay about 45000 for my, my, now we didn't start off at that, it started off lower than that, but but we've developed in a great, great relationship. We make good money off of it. And then he gets a percentage of my royalties as well. So that's, mm-hmm. so he's lucky enough to get that. I also pay him for the proposal. I pay him a fee, I think it's in five to 7,500, somewhere in that range. So I pay a proposal fee as well to kind of get the book proposal so we can submit it to the publisher because there's different ways to do a book, right? You can self-publish, which I think is the way most of us are all doing it today. And then there's also the traditional or hybrid publishing with, you know, say an entrepreneur or McGraw or um, a Hachette. Uh, by the way, I've had all those. And uh, and I'm now with the entrepreneur and I really like entrepreneur because it's kind of a hybrid method. Are, are most of your authors, are they going to a full-fledged publisher? Or are they going to self-publish?
2: It's been about half and half. Uh, the people who have platforms and have, the ability to promote that book are much more attractive to the mainstream publishers than people who are relatively new in their writing career or are not public speakers. Somebody just told me about a quote from a mainstream publisher who wanted him and his partner to guarantee that they would sell 10,000 copies and pay $50,000 for marketing the book. Oh, and wow. that To self-publish. Sure, stuff.
1: yeah, well, you hope it, with the pub the publisher you hope you get the marketing, but for most authors, they don't they're not getting it. Uh, most people don't understand. We probably go into another whole episode about the marketing of it, what it's like to have to buy into the airports, buy on the end caps. this is all the business now, folks. you got to put as much marketing money uh, behind it as you do to create the book and then some in mm. order to get it. The average business book will sell about five thousand copies in its lifetime, so. When you see po- folks like me that are selling half a million, million or whatever, that means somebody else is losing on the other side. So you really got to go at this in, a, in, in the right kind of way. So, yeah. hey, Pat, how can they reach you? I want to know how they can reach you because I want to make sure that you are doing a great job with a lot of people writing books. You're write, probably writing on your other new book for yourself, but, I'm, but how many books are you writing right now for other people?
2: I've got about five of them that are in the works right now.
1: That's that's a phenomenal. I can't even think that I could do that.
2: <laughs> that's you know, crazy. I don't stay up all night, Jeffrey. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> There you go. How can they reach you, Pat?
2: My website is the easiest way, which is patier.com, p a t i y e r.com. There are many people ways that people spell my last name, but the only correct way is i y e r. So there you go. Pateyer.com.
1: And you can find me on Twitter at Pat Iyer as well. She's on Facebook. She's on LinkedIn. You got her website. Listen, folks, you need a book writer. Pat can do it, and uh, she can make it happen for you. But you know what? And if she, she'd she probably tell you sometimes maybe she's not the right one, and she'll she'll get you to somebody else, too. So there you go. That's what I like. Hey, Pat, what a pleasure to have you on the show and uh, to tell people all about that next book inside of you. As she said, everyone's got one inside. Do you want yours to get out? Come on, get it out, get it out. And make sure you reach Pat. So Pat, thanks for coming.
2: Thank you so much, Jeffrey. I appreciate it.
1: Hey, at the end of every show, I like to talk about the things I learned. I like the one phrase that she had to say. Well, there's a lot of things I liked what she had to say, but she said, begin with the end in mind. So many authors just want to write a book, get the book out, they write it, and they don't know what to do with it afterwards. Then they wait to market it to the very last minute, and guess what? It dies. Nothing happens to it, you know? Worst thing could happen. I built something, and no one came. And that's indeed what happens with a lot of authors. If you got to begin with the end in mind, why well, are you going to use the book? How are you going to market the book? How are you going to use it to leverage you or leverage your business or leverage your intellectual property your ip your thoughts that's what you have to think about and how get to turn it into money that's what i learned about today and of course i learned that a long time ago she just helped remind me hey speaking of reminders i'm reminding you to go tell a friend to listen in to make sure that you tell a friend that you really like the show and they should listen in and i just love to have more and more people listening. So whatever you can do to help me, I really appreciate it. Hey, everybody, thanks so much for listening. this has been Jeffrey Hazlett. And this is all business with Jeffrey Hazlett right here on C-Suite
0: Radio. You're listening to all business with Jeffrey Hazlett brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other- other business podcasts on c-sweetradio.com This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-sweetradio.com.